1: What a big win for Texas. What an absolutely massive, beyond a shadow of a doubt, incredible win for the Texas Longhorns over Oklahoma. Tom Herman in year two. For a minute there, it looked like Texas might choke it away. They were up 45-24 in the fourth quarter, up 21. The uh, the Maybe it was 42-21. to I don't remember exactly. They were up three scores. And out of nowhere, the... Uh, Oklahoma Sooners come storming back, tie up the game, but then Texas gets a final drive, and it ends in a field goal to win the Red River shootout. And so, as a result, Texas now controls its fate in the Big 12 title race, and who's going to make the uh, who's going to make the Big 12 title game? And so, it also opened the door in a, with Oklahoma losing. Notre Dame went on the road and dominated against Virginia Tech. And if you look at the remainder of Notre Dame's schedule now, Notre Dame is going to be at least a touchdown favorite, I believe. Maybe not the final week against USC. Maybe it's possible that if USC gets things turned around, that by that final week, Notre Dame will not be a full touchdown favorite. But regardless, Notre Dame is going to be favored in every game the rest of the way. And if you are a Fighting Irish fan, you have to be excited, but also nervous. You have to be like Elizabeth Berkeley back in the day on Saved by the Bell, so excited, but also simultaneously so scared uh, because you have six games remaining. Pittsburgh, not very good. Should be a win. Navy in San Diego. Navy's always difficult to play against. They prepare well. They've got a great coach and Ken Niamatolo. I can't pronounce his name. I got close to it. I got pretty close there. Ken Niamatolato. Ken Niamatolo. Uh, anyway, they're pretty good. That'll be a tough game. That game is in San Diego. Niamatolo. Niamatolo. It's close. I'm getting close. Uh at Northwestern. We got at Northwestern for Notre Dame, which actually Northwestern's starting to play pretty well. They got a nice win over Michigan State this weekend. That might be a really difficult game. Northwestern almost beat. Michigan uh, the weekend before too so that's a little bit of a landmine game for Notre Dame that probably a lot of people aren't thinking about Florida State Seminoles are playing better under Willie Taggart they got up 28-7 or 27-7 sorry on Miami before the Hurricanes came storming back Mark Ricks Miami Hurricanes have won five in a row since losing the opener to LSU they've got Syracuse and New York City uh, and Syracuse can score some points, so that's not a guaranteed win either. And then at USC, that's the six games. Uh, again, Pittsburgh, Navy, and San Diego at Northwestern, Florida State, Syracuse and New York City, and at USC. If I were doing a college football playoff right now, if they had me in uh, on the committee and they said, Clay Travis, what does your final four look like for the college football playoff committee? I think it's a no-brainer right now, halfway through the college football season. And yes, We really are halfway through the college football season. We have already played six full weeks in college football. My playoff four would be Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Notre Dame 3, and Ohio State 4. Again, my playoff four, Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Notre Dame 3, and uh, Ohio State 4. I understand Clemson fans are running around out there screaming, what about us? I just don't think you've been very competitive so far. I think you were fortunate to win against uh, Texas A&M on the road. I think you were very fortunate to win against, uh, Cle- against uh, Syracuse at, at home. And so as a result, I don't have Clemson in my top four. Uh, I also don't have West Virginia or Central Florida, who I think, honestly, are the seven teams that would probably be deserving of a playoff spot. So uh, those are uh, my playoff teams right now. LSU. Florida Gators get a big win. Dan Mullen now 5 and 1 with three straight SEC wins coming off of the first loss to Kentucky. The Florida Gators 5 and 1, huge win for Dan Mullen over LSU. Auburn goes on the road against Mississippi State and loses. Went 5 and 5 on the gambling picks, but my blood bank guarantee, I hope you put as much money as you could have on that under because it cashed with ease. Auburn on the road against Mississippi State. Uh, The SEC now down to two undefeated teams, Alabama and Georgia. Tua Tagovailoa. Listen to this stat line. It's otherworldly. He only played a half, effectively. He went 10 for 11. All right? 10 for 11 in the first half against Arkansas for 334 passing yards and four touchdowns. 10 for 11 for 334 yards passing and four touchdowns in the first half against Arkansas. And he only played in a half. The amazing thing about Tua's statistics, he's got 18 touchdown passes and only 25 incompletions. Let me repeat that because one of the wildest stats I've ever heard. 18 touchdown passes and only 25 incompletions. He's also completing 75.2% of his passes, uh, and he's averaging 14.8 yards per pass attempt. And remember, all of this these stats are coming in the first half against fresh defensive starters before Alabama is blowing people out. So it's not even like He is padding his stat line. A lot of people want to compare Tua and Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State is padding his stat line against bad teams because Ohio State is not quite blowing out most of its opponents enough and they're leaving him in the game in the second half. Tua is on the sideline almost all the time by the start of the second half. Alabama put up 65 points against Arkansas and they only played Tua for a half. If they had played him for the full game, and he did everything, and they were trying to score points throughout, they would have been over 80. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. I don't think anybody who watched this game would say, yeah, you know what, I think Alabama would have, you know, only scored 65 if they had played Tua. No, I think I think they would have been over 80. I think they could have scored hundred 100 points in a game this year against at least one opponent, maybe more than one, if their goal had been to score as many points as we possibly can. If Nick Saban's wife was kidnapped and they said, hey, unless you score 100 points, we are you're never going to see her again. I think the Alabama could score 150. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, I think this Alabama offense is so explosive that if they were calling plays entirely based on the idea of let's score as many points as rapidly as we can, and they turned up the defense too – so that they were just trying to get turnovers and uh, and and make the possessions go as fast as possible, I don't think there's any doubt that Alabama could score 100 points in a game. Zero doubt. Uh, so that story is, uh, is pretty compelling as well. All right, I'm going to get your calls, 877-996-6369. I'll take some of your calls. I'll also bring in the crew. Uh, and find out what their biggest takeaway from the NFL and the college football weekend was. But uh, I want to uh, go ahead and go to Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaken uh, from him.
3: Alright, we'll start with the Geico scoreboard and we'll start with postseason baseball where the Brewers are moving on. They shut out the Rockies 6 to nothing to sweep that series. 3 games, nothing, and move on to the National League Championship Series. Milwaukee's bullpen had six relievers combined for a four-hit shutout in that win. The Braves avoid elimination with a 6-5 win over the Dodgers. Freddie Freeman hit a solo home run on the sixth inning, breaking a 5-5 tie. That was the game-winning hit. L.A. still holds a 2-1 series advantage. Week 5 of the NFL, Sunday night, Texans get an overtime field goal to beat the Cowboys 19-16. Rams are 5-0 after beating the Seahawks 33-31. Todd Gurley, three rushing touchdowns for L.A. Chiefs are 5-0. They beat the Jaguars 30-14. Blake Bortles was picked off four times by Kansas City's defense. One was returned for a touchdown. Vikings over the Eagles 23-21 in a rematch of the NFC title game. Jets surprised the Broncos 34-16. Sam Darnold three touchdown passes for New York. Bills edged the Titans 13-12 on a 46-yard field goal in the final play of regulation. Overtime for the Browns to beat the Ravens 12-9. Baker Mayfield had the only touchdown of the game on a touchdown pass. The Bengals beat the Dolphins 27-17. Cincinnati's 4-1. They were down 17-0 and scored the final twenty. 26- Seven points of the game. Lions over the Packers, 31-23. Not a good game for Green Bay kicker Mason Crosby. One for five on field goals and he missed an extra point. Chargers beat the Raiders, 26-10. Oakland's 1-4. Panthers get by the Giants, 33-31. Graham Gano ties the second longest field goal in NFL history. 63-yarder with one second left to win it for Carolina. Steelers over the Falcons, 41-17. Atlanta's now 1-4. And and the Cardinals get their first win of the season, beating the 49ers 28 to 18 this report's brought to you by true car online car shopping can be confusing without not anymore with true price from true car now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car so visit true car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience back to clay travis in the geico outkick the coverage studios
1: we are coming to you live from the geico outkick studios where it's easy to save 15 percent or more on car insurance with geico go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Okay, I've run through everything in college football and in the NFL. The major storylines, I believe I have hit them all. Uh, Danny G, what was your big takeaway from the weekend in sports? It can be baseball. It can be UFC. It can be anything that happened in the NFL and in college football. We have got so much sports. Mm -hmm. It's October. So much going on. There are a ton of different uh, storylines to hit.
4: Well, I think Khabib stole the show. That was the highlight. I kept watching over and over and over again, and I'm sure you're going to talk more about it as the morning I'm gonna continues. I'm going to open
1: for everybody out there who watched. I, I ordered. I paid 65 bucks for this UFC fight. I'm going to open hour two, talking about uh, the UFC event. So for everybody out there who watched it, it was remarkable. Uh, it was uh, unbelievable what we saw. I'm going to open hour two to talk about the UFC mm-hmm. uh, and also in hour three so that you know Dan Wetzel who was there in person Yahoo Sports national columnist he wrote about it he will take us into Vegas and tell us what the scene inside was like nice and uh, also we'll talk as we always do in hour three to Alex Marvez so our guests we don't have a guest at all in hour one or an hour two but we'll have a couple of guests for you in hour three including someone to break down inside uh, what exactly happened there in the UFC fight between Conor McGregor yeah and Khabib.
4: That was so good that the haters instantly went to social media and said, that was scripted, that was planned. No, it was not. That was that was uh, the best moment of the weekend. Biggest stories in the NFL, all the walk-off wins. You started with all those calls. Those four games prove how important it is to have a really good field goal kicker. Gano's 63-yarder was amazing. Obviously, only two dominant teams in the NFL. I watched that Rams game uh and you got to give the seahawks a lot of credit they showed more heart than what i think people thought was possible from them this season with a mediocre team but the rams were able to kill the clock at the very end of that game and talk about how important field goal kickers are you mentioned mason crosby really really quickly five missed field goals my goodness i feel bad for pack fans waking up this morning nice wins for the vikings texans and cardinals and as far as our raiders here there's a couple of raider fans on your staff They cannot stop anybody consistently on defense. The one bright spot so far this season had been Marshawn Lynch running the ball. He only got the ball nine times yesterday for 31 yards, some of that being because the Raiders' best O-lineman, Osemele, is out hurt. So you got multiple rookies on the O-line made for a long day. you got to give a lot of credit to the Chargers' defense. I think that the Chargers could possibly give the Chiefs a little bit of a run for the money as we get into the season here because of their defense and raider fans just cringe whenever we see derwin james on the screen because the raiders should have drafted him and uh and then for baseball i don't know how much of this you got to see yesterday but Acuna jr's grand slam when bueller was struggling and he walked the pitcher to to get the first run in for the braves but the dodgers showed heart with that comeback muncie tied things up with his home run and then freddie freeman with that winner for the Braves so Braves stay alive but it still looks like the Dodgers are in control of that series
1: we uh by the way 877-996-6369 we will be on for everybody out there who will be watching the Dodgers and the Braves game today we will be on lock it in special time about 15 minutes after that game uh tonight on uh on FS1 so uh thank you for everybody watching we had the most watched show for Lock It In that we've ever had on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday last week. And we're going to have another massive audience on Monday coming out of that Dodgers and Braves game. So uh, so if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, we'll be on in primetime again. Eddie Garcia, what were your big takeaways from the weekend? What stood out to you?
3: Well, it's hard not to think about the two teams that are still undefeated. And I thought the Rams were... I don't know if clearly is a good word. I thought the Rams were the better team because of their defense, but after seeing what Seattle did to them, Uh, Well, I don't know. Maybe the defense isn't as good as I thought it was. Uh, Sean McVay loved the fourth down call to go for it and and get the win and not punt the ball away. Uh, For the Chiefs, obviously great win over the the, uh, Jaguars, uh, even though Patrick Mahomes did not have a touchdown pass. They still are able to get the pretty convincing victory because they were able to pick off Blake Bortles so many times. College football, I don't care if they don't want to call it the Red River shootout anymore. It's still a shootout. It's still a great game. And how about the freshman kicker for Texas coming up huge? What a clutch kick. And college kickers, just like NFL kickers, you never know what you're going to get. But that was awesome. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about Scott Frost in Nebraska and Chip Kelly at UCLA, and I get that. But as you said, Dan Mullen at Florida, uh, that has been just as big of a hire and obviously a lot better results quicker uh, for the Gators with what he's been able to do. Great win over LSU.
1: Yeah, Florida. I mean, you just got to be given credit. I mean, five and one for Dan Mullen. Uh, incredible turnaround, given what they looked like last year with uh, Jim McElwain and uh, Dan Mullen. You know, we knew if you looked at what he did at Mississippi State, how good of a coach he was, but to immediately come in with Florida and be five and one like they are, the defense is legitimately good. Uh, Roberto, what you got for me?
4: Well, Clay, I was at the Raider game uh, yesterday and. It's safe to say our season. Is I over. think we might have our to ban you guys
1: talking about the Raiders. They are so bad. Yeah, our season. No, over. Uh, they're almost as point, bad as the
4: Titans yesterday. Yeah.
1: Now, the, the Titans were not good yesterday, but the Titans are three and two and would be in the playoffs, uh, like and hosting a home bills. playoff game. They they played awful. Three turnovers <laughs> and uh, and I, I I hate when if you were watching the game at all or even saw the highlights. Marcus Mariota has such an unbelievable uh, poor roster of wide receivers, but to drop the touchdown pass that they dropped that would have won the game in Buffalo, that's a drop that if it happens in a high school game, you want to strangle the wide receiver. That's a drop that if it happens in a college game, Nick Williams is the guy who dropped it, you want to strangle the receiver. Sometimes I see things that happen in, in NFL games, and I just think, I mean, it was as easy of a touchdown catch as will exist in the NFL this year. I mean, if I were on the—I'm not even kidding about this. If it was reminds me of the Vikings play on uh, on the secondary. If I were on the field and I dropped that pass, I would be furious at myself. In like I, that's a catch that I think 90% of the people listening to this show right now would make. So it's one thing when professionals make mistakes, or somebody who's also a professional stops you from being successful. But when you are running wide open and you've got a surefire touchdown catch and you're not even going to get touched, right? It's not as if you're going to get lit up when you get into the end zone or you're trying to protect the ball and make sure that you don't drop it or all all those things. I mean, there's no one near him. It's as easy of a catch for a touchdown as will exist in the NFL this year. And to drop that, I I almost, if I were a head coach, would want to just cut a guy on the spot. Like I I understand like the p- purpose of empathy and sympathy and everything else, but when you make something that is that egregious of an error and it's so indefensible relative to again, if you were a high school, I'll be honest with you, I I my little my seven year old just turned eight is playing flag football right now. Like he would be he wouldn't be able to sleep if he dropped that pass for a touchdown in flag football, and he's eight years old. If you drop that ball, I don't know what you do if you're a pro. Like, I mean, that is, to me, so awful. Same thing with, like, Mason Crosby when you miss five field goals. Like, I think you should get fired immediately if you are so bad at your job and make a play like that. So that, to me, like, if you watch that play, it's as bad of a play as you'll see all year, and it legitimately cost a team a game. And when you only play 16 games, same thing with Mason Crosby. At least Mason Crosby has a history of being pretty good. Nick Williams, I would cut him. I mean, it's that bad. I think he was atrocious. And he also caused an interception because he didn't complete his route. Like, it was an awful game for him. I, I don't understand it. Anyway, the Raiders are bad. Sorry for cutting you off, Roberto, but you got me fired up on that That's play. Right. Like, make me think about that one.
4: Yeah, and I, I think the Raiders uh, gave the wrong guy uh, an extension. I think uh, Mac should have got the money first and not Carr because Carr is just yeah, the I'm, Derek I'm almost Carr fed up with Carr now.
1: The Derek Carr collapse is really one of the most unexpected outcomes that we have seen in in the NFL in some time because he looked like an MVP and then it just vanished and now he looks like a guy who is he looks like his brother. He looks like David Carr. A um, terrible and,
4: inter- terrible in, uh interception in the end zone when the Raiders could have scored.
2: In the I fourth quarter, what's, another what's fourth quarter.
4: Yeah, another fourth quarter interception.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
1: I watch this entirely as a neophyte in many ways. I come in for big events, right? I care about Connor McGregor. I think he is a great draw. The Khabib guy, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his first name. I have watched a couple of his fights over time. I find them to be incredibly boring. Like back in the day when the Gracie brothers were impossible to defeat and they were experts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and basically if they got a hold of you, they would choke you out and force you to submit. I didn't think that was entertaining. I don't think that Khabib is entertaining. I don't think it's interesting at all when guys go to the mat and they just grapple for possession uh, and position and then at some point, somebody taps out. That's not my kind of entertaining UFC. I think Khabib has almost no actual draw. In other words, if he ends up, I don't know what's going to happen, we're going to get into it, but if he ends up being a major signature performer for the UFC, I think the only reason people care about Khabib is because of Conor McGregor. And the idea that you're going to watch somebody like try to put a chokehold on somebody or put a you know like grapple with somebody on the ground for four minutes is to me not an entertaining match so that's my opinion on Khabib in general now the question and this is a big question and it's up as our poll question if you did not watch this what happened was in the fourth round Khabib got Conor McGregor into a submission hold got him on the ground and we got a submission hold The moment that that submission hold ended, Khabib got up, talked trash to McGregor, jumped out of the ring and attacked another guy outside of the ring. Then while that melee was going on outside of the ring, we had simultaneously a huge mess erupt inside the ring because Khabib's corner guys jumped the fence and came in and attacked Conor McGregor. Three of them were arrested. Conor McGregor chose not to press charges, and so I believe they have been released. I don't think there is an official result so far that has been determined about Khabib, about any of the corner people, or anything else. So, I have several thoughts on this in general. I was watching it live. Here is what I think no one else is saying that the UFC needs to be held to task on beyond a shadow of a doubt, and it is this. They have an obligation to cover all of the events that happen after the fight instead of pulling the camera all the way up to the sky and refusing to show you what was actually taking place inside that arena, inside that ring. And this is a big deal to me because... The moment that, that Khabib went outside of the ring and dove into the crowd and the moment that Conor McGregor got jumped in the, uh, in the octagon, that is a news story. To me, you have an obligation to cover the news story even though it might not be something that you want to cover or believe that it reflects well on your overall brand. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I haven't seen anybody else talk about this, but if you were watching this live like I was, they immediately pulled the cameras back and showed you basically a from the rafters view of the ring and you had no idea what was going on. Now, the commentators were still talking ringside, but nobody, you could not hear or see really what was going on in the ring. And to me, they never showed a replay of it They never came back and said, oh my God, here's what happened with Khabib uh, diving out of the ring. You had to piece it together from videos from other sources. I thought that was unacceptable for a pure, like we're covering an event and we have an obligation to cover the event that unfolds in front of us. I think the UFC had an obligation and uh, and, and, and a true responsibility to show to everyone who paid for that UFC fight Here's how it actually ended. Here's Khabib leaving the ring. Here's who he's attacking. Here's what happened with Conor McGregor. Here are the guys that sucker punched him in the ring. All of that, I think the UFC had an obligation to show us on their broadcast. I don't think that it was uh, it was appropriate or acceptable for them to make that decision. Does that make sense? Um, and so I think that's a big point of discussion that we should have. What are the obligations of a pay-per-view event? When you pay $65 for the full event, should you get to see everything? I don't remember every detail back in the day of the Mike Tyson ear-biting incident with Evander Holyfield. But my experience is they showed everything around that fight. They showed Tyson biting the ear even though it was ugly They showed the ensuing brawl. They showed you replays. You saw what happened in that match. When the malice in the palace happened and Ron Artest went into the crowd in Detroit, you saw the replay of all of that. The UFC, I think, was trying to hide what actually happened after its match. I think that was wrong of the UFC. Now, is this going to be such a black eye for the UFC that it has significant long-term impacts I don't know. I don't know what the impact is. I don't know what you should do. I think that Khabib has to get a substantial suspension, even though I think this overall is probably a good thing for the UFC. Because you're saying to yourself, well, Clay Travis, you're talking about the UFC on a Monday after we just had college football and the NFL take place. You're opening your hour, too. It's true. I did hour one all on the NFL and all on college football. But you're right. I think this is such a compelling story. And I don't know how many of you out there are like me and paid $65 to watch this thing. But I think it's a compelling story. And a lot of you are reacting. I put up, uh, was the Khabib McGregor post-match melee good or bad for the UFC? And about 60% of you are saying that it was good for the UFC. 57% of you saying it was good. 43% of you saying it was bad. What should happen? I'm going to open up the phone lines, 877 996 6369. My inclination is first of all, Conor McGregor's not going to beat Khabib. I don't think he can beat him. He can maybe get lucky, catch him with a punch early, but watching that fight, as soon as Khabib gets Conor McGregor down onto the mat, I think this, the, the, the sort of the boxing rounds and the matches and everything else, the fight becomes really boring. And the only real round where it didn't happen that they spent the majority of the round on the ground was round three, and Conor McGregor won that. I think Khabib knows that if he stays on his feet, he probably loses. As soon as he gets Conor McGregor to the ground, he has no chance of losing. And we saw him get Conor McGregor into a submission hold in the fourth round before the melee happened, before Khabib went outside of the ring. The other thing I would say here is, to me this is an intriguing story Because it balances out what's real and what's not real. A lot of times you can't tell whether two combatants in a combat sport like this, boxing or MMA, actually dislike each other. Or are they ratcheting up all of the uh, dislike in order to make as much money as they possibly can. For instance, I think Mayweather and McGregor actually probably like each other. And I think they each made $100 million because they are really good at stoking the idea that they don't like each other. But in reality, I think those dudes would have a good time having a beer with each other. We just saw a video go viral. I think Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather actually like each other. But when they get ready for the fight, they will put on a show and make it seem like they genuinely dislike each other because people, me, you, everybody else out there, is more likely to buy a fight if we believe the two people who are fighting genuinely detest each other. Right? I, I I, think that's the number one rule of the fight game is sell the idea that you hate each other even if you really don't hate each other because it means you each make more money. That's the general rule. I think Khabib genuinely hates Conor McGregor. And I don't think he was satisfied with the way that fight ended, with choking out Conor McGregor. I don't think he felt like he significantly hurt Conor McGregor. I think he wanted not just to win, I think he wanted to really hurt Conor McGregor. And I think that's what happened at the end of the fight when he jumped out of the arena, out of the octagon, and went into the crowd. I think he was so mad, and so were his corner people, that they legitimately wanted to do harm to Conor McGregor. And so I think when you ratchet up that anger, and I don't know whether Conor McGregor legitimately dislikes Khabib or not. I know he got charged for throwing the the thing into the bus and and all of those associated decisions. I don't know whether he legitimately dislikes him or if he's so good on the show that he thought, oh, this is going to take it to a next level will make it seem that way. I don't know. It could be that both these guys genuinely detest each other. McGregor, I think, is such a good performer and he's so charismatic and he's so good at making you feel that he feels genuine distaste for his competitor that I'm not sure whether he really feels it or whether how much of it is a show. I think Khabib is for real. So I want to open up the phone line. The question here is twofold. Is it good for the UFC? And what should the punishment for Khabib be? When you go into the crowd ringside, that's something that has to make the UFC incredibly nervous. When that happened in the NBA, when Ron Artest, when the Pacers and the Pistons got into a brawl, the NBA went back and basically changed everything about the way they deal with potential fights. And as a result, it may have changed who won the championship because you'll remember the Phoenix Suns lost Amari Stoudemire after Steve Nash got hip-checked by Robert Ori, I believe it was, into the scores table years ago. The NBA said if you come off the bench onto the court, you have an automatic suspension. And the result has been we've never really seen any violence in the NBA since. But it wasn't about the on-court violence that the NBA seemed troubled by. It was the fight going into the crowd. All of the celebrities, all of the rich people who sit right on the court in the NBA, the idea was, oh my God, if we've got players fighting with fans, the NBA brand can collapse in a hurry. Well, the expectation may be a little bit different in the UFC, much like it is in the WWE where guys go outside the ring and get hit with chairs and get thrown right into the into the you know, the chain link fence area there or the barriers, the barricades all the time in the WWE. So it might not have the same impact in the UFC because people might be like, oh, in combat sports, because of what the WWE has taught us over the years, we know that the fight can go outside the ring. And I know the UFC is real and the WWE is staged. But I think the expectations for what happens in combat sports are oftentimes set by the WWE. And so when you've got guys regularly getting thrown in, into tables and thrown into chain link fences and everything else outside of the ring, does that factor in when it comes to how the UFC has to respond here? Because here's what, here's what I think about. There were tons of famous people immediately around that ring. What happens if Khabib is taking a huge swing at some guy outside the ring and instead of hitting the guy he's intending to hit, he hits Robert Kraft or Rory McIlroy or Tom Brady or one of these huge celebrities that is sitting ringside and they get severely injured? Like, Think about it. Robert Kraft is right there, right outside the UFC ring. What if the owner of the New England Patriots took a Khabib punch full-on in the face? It might kill him. I mean, this dude is like 74, 75 years old. What if that punch, which it's completely realistic to believe, doesn't land on the person it's entitled to land on and instead catches one of the fans and they're severely injured? And on top of that, what if it's a famous fan? What if Rory McElroy, and the reason why I'm pointing these guys out is because they were shown in the crowd, or the dude from Breaking Bad, Aaron Judge, I believe, Aaron Paul. They were showing all these famous guys in the crowd before the uh, the match was happening. What if Rory McElroy takes a flying Khabib punch and he's out for two years from playing golf because his face is just wrecked? Or out for a year or misses the start of the season? What the NBA decided after the malice in the palace was, we can't have this happen because we have the most lucrative possible seats being paid for by the most wealthy consumers. And if one of these people gets hurt, first of all, the lawsuit is never-ending. Think about that for a minute. If Khabib connects and injures somebody sitting ringside, then his He's bankrupt. Because there's no way that you assume if you're sitting ringside that you're going to get hit by Khabib when he storms outside of the ring and attacks people. And some of these older people, maybe even some of the younger people, if you get hit the wrong way and you're not a professional, you could either be severely injured or you could die. I mean, people get hit and fall and hit their head on concrete like I'm sure exists ringside there at the MGM. The MGM also gets sued to the high heavens if somebody is injured in that. I guarantee you there will be lawsuits that unspool from that regardless. I haven't heard that anybody was severely injured. But how do they not have the security to keep that from happening too? This is a massive issue for the UFC. Maybe good overall for attention, but how do you resolve it? Do you suspend Khabib for a year or more? Do you strip him of his titles?
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports
1: National Columnist. He was there in Las Vegas covering this fight. I know you've covered a lot of these fights over the years. So first question for you, where are you seated? What's your point of observation?
5: Uh, I, they give us great great spots in the media for UFC. So we we're out front row uh, by the octagon. And um, the, the, the fight where uh, Nermago Madoff went flying in, that was kind of off to the left side from, from my point of view. So it wasn't right in front of me. But I'll tell you one quick thing about our seats. They had put a barrier, like a heavy fence, up between our table and, like, the Area where the fighters walk by, which I had never seen uh, in any UFC fight before. And Kevin Ioli, who covers um, combat sports for Yahoo Sports, and has covered you know probably like 150 or 175 of these shows, if not more, um, had never seen it before either. So they put some extra stuff up in case a brawl broke out; <laughs> they wouldn't be able to slam into the tables. And and into the fence, so there was actually a perimeter kind of set up just in case this was the UFC kind of prepared for the the idea that mayhem might break out. I thought that was pretty interesting because we were like, oh man, they put this in in case there's a fight, and then like two hours later, there's a fight.
1: All right, so the uh, the McGregor uh, and uh, Khabib fight ends with the chokeout. Yep. Was in your opinion everything that happens after the chokeout in round four? 100% 100% real in other words Khabib uh Gump jumps over the jumps out of the octagon goes into the crowd after uh ends up in the crowd at chasing one of McGregor's corner guys uh the Khabib corner guys come in I mean it felt like WWE come in and sucker punch Conor uh, McGregor inside the ring was all of that real
5: oh absolutely yeah it's all It's it's been real the whole time when they stormed uh the McGregor broke the bus windows. Um, the press conference animosity. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not staged. This stuff's not staged. I mean, Dylan Dane. These are not well-adjusted human beings. <laughs> these are some of the least well-adjusted human beings on the planet, and they really hate each other. And this is how they settle things. So they don't make stuff up at the UFC. They will capitalize on it. They will not crack down on it necessarily the way like the NBA would with Ron Artest to just you know finish him for a year but it's all real this stuff's very real I mean that fight was vicious
1: okay so what happens now so UFC let's pretend that you are Dan Wetzel suddenly is deputized as the leader of the UFC you have to decide how to respond to this I believe I'm correct in this you were there tell me if I'm right they initially arrest three Khabib corner guys then McGregor says he doesn't want to pass, uh, doesn't want to press charges, so they release those guys, and there are no current criminal charges, I believe, pending. Inevitably, right. there will be lawsuits, because there's always lawsuits anytime things like this happen. What do you do if you are the UFC going forward? Do you suspend Khabib? Do you strip his titles? Do you try and set up a rematch? Like, What is the, <laughs> the flowchart of what happens from here going forward?
5: Uh I mean I think you leave it. They have a thing. The Nevada State Athletic Commission will 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 punish. Uh they can suspend somebody and if they do that, the UFC will follow that guideline. Um you know, future contracts maybe you you withhold you withhold you know, money if they do this, but uh man, I'm scheduling rematches. I mean, you know, look, you've got to protect your fans and you can not you, you really want you—you know—the knucklehead behavior of the coaches and the, the teammates who are almost all other fighters. Um, those are those are the, the the corners. Is usually, you know, maybe one or two trainers, a boxing coach, or you know, some kind of coach. But there's also a couple of just other fighters. So there's there's fighters everywhere around this thing. I mean, that's it, the crowd. So maybe you do that. I think the two two of Khabib's teammates that climbed into the octagon, Dana White said, would be banned from the UFC. That makes sense. Um, You know, but McGregor did that too at an MMA fight in Europe when he went after a ref one time. I don't know. I booked the fights. I mean, it's cage fighting. It's, you know, they definitely need to protect the fans and make sure it doesn't spill over. But they did that. As much as this was out of control, the law enforcement in Vegas the T-Mobile Arena security, the Nevada State, all, all the UFC security, they broke that fight up pretty quick. and did a pretty good job. They kept McGregor in the octagon when he was trying to get over. Um, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but it could have been a lot worse. But they had prepared for as much as they could to try to stop this. And you got a lot of volatile, violent guys. Uh, it's not easy to keep them apart when they're, they're, they don't care about getting arrested. Like, Khabib's like, arrest me, go ahead. You know, McGregor doesn't care. He flew, you know, last, earlier this year, he flew all the way from Ireland in a rage <laughs> to attack the bus in Brooklyn and get Khabib out, out of the bus and let's fight right now. Like, giving up a $30 million fight because he's so, he's so mad at him. So, I don't know what you do to try to stop that. Other than ban them from the UFC altogether, and that just isn't going to happen. I mean, it's, it's a cage fight. This is what this is what happens sometimes. You walk that line. For the most part, the guys stay in the line. It's it, that line is far from the norm of sport. But you know, sometimes it's going to get crossed, and sometimes some chaos is going to it. ensue.
1: We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. He was ringside for the fight between Khabib and McGregor. Okay, so. We're, we're walking through this play out my argument has been you mentioned the Ron Artest you live in the Detroit area so you're certainly very familiar with the malice and the palace incident my argument is that for many people they still think of the UFC and WWE as being somewhat similar even though I know one is like you're trying to kill someone the other one is you're trying to pretend like you are but in the WWE people go outside the ring and sometimes outside the cage and they take it outside and it fans have become conditioned to the idea, whether it's fair or foul, that because the WWE puts on that show that combat sports sometimes spill outside of the ring, so maybe there isn't that same reaction to a combat sport spiraling outside of the ring that there would be to a basketball game going into the crowd. Is it fair to draw that distinction? Do you think that impacts the way the public responds?
5: Um, No, I mean, I think if those guys had gotten into the, crowd and started punching people that didn't have anything to do with the fight. There would be an equal reaction of this is completely nuts. You go, you pay yeah. your money. I mean, they were they were attacking guys that were just sitting there watching a basketball game. These guys were fighting each other. So you know, Dylan, you know Dylan Danis, who who is a fighter, he's a welterweight. He's a you know he's a fighter, and so he's he's barking the whole you know, for months, let alone during the fight at Khabib. And Khabib loses it and goes after him. Those are two, you know, highly trained people going after each other. So it's not like they're just jumping in the stand and saying, oh, you're a Conor McGregor fan? I'm going to slug you in the face. That would be a whole different deal here. I don't think the WWE thing matters at all, that it spills out. I mean, I think if you you are octagon side, it was definitely concerning if they're spilling because you got no idea. I mean, you know, punches fly. What did you What did
1: you think when this thing started happening? Were you like, "Oh my god!" Like, I mean, what was your immediate live I reaction? Like, I
5: don't know. Like, I cover a lot of UFC. I think any UFC fan, that always, it's always tough for UFC fans. I've been a UFC fan for a long time. It's always, it's always tough when the sport spills into a a really broad mainstream because people don't understand kind of the culture of the whole thing. I mean, it was unusual. I was like, oh, man. but I wasn't stunned that it was happening. It was just like, holy cow, here we go. And then it was like, hopefully it doesn't come over here. Because, again, like, you get, you get guys sprawling into you. Yes. And these are not just a drunk bar fight. Like, these, are, these guys are, you know, you, don't, you do not want to get hit by a spray punch with this crowd
3: uh, yes
1: yes so that's exactly you know, what i said this is different between two guys or even any other athletes who haven't been trained as fighters oh, like no. if if they if you or i took a punch from one of these guys we might not get back up right i mean like this is like oh, you don't want to take a punch from a trained fighter
5: no i mean the the the, the, the strawweight women 150 pounds would be, beat, beat either one of us you know down i mean it's, <laughs> you don't stand a chance against yes. these, these are trained fighters so let alone, you know, these guys are 155, 160 pounds, but they're just, you know, forget it. So anyway, I mean, yeah, you're concerned because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but um, it's not out of control. So you're kind of watching it and, and seeing it. I mean, it's wild. was a wild deal. I mean, it could be one crazy. It was a really odd way to, to do it, but the hate here is so significant. So I don't think it has anything to do with the WWE. I think people who see the WWE and UFC is anything similar, have no idea how the UFC operates. They are not UFC fans, and those people, who cares, okay? Like, I, if people are saying after, oh, my God, it's a black eye for the sport. People are not going to want to be fans. Like, if this offended you, if this hurt your sensibility, you are never going to be a UFC fan. Like, it's like being a NASCAR fan and going, that's not very Bumped into the other guy. Like, they crashed. Like, if that offends you that they're not driving safely, you're not a NASCAR fan. So, you know, this is, this is the sport. It, yeah, it was totally out of control. It was the big night. But the reason you were watching is because these two guys truly hated each other. And you can't really expect with the UFC, you know, this is a global sport. Fighting is a completely global culture. Everywhere on earth they fight. We have a guy from, the you know, rural eastern Russia, Fighting a guy from the slums of Dublin. Okay, you can't sit there and go. I want you to apply the standards of suburban American uh, sensibilities on sportsmanship here. Now that doesn't mean they should be doing this. Not excusing it, but this is who you're. This is who you're dealing with. No, well, you could get arrested. These guys in Russia are like, "Go ahead, arrest me. I don't give a crap. I'm thinking sleep in the Clark County Jail. Like they don't care." Oh, I'm gonna, I'm going I'm gonna find you a million dollars. I don't give a crap. I want to kill him. Like, there, it's a totally different mentality of all the different athletes. It's the most culturally diverse sport in, in, the, in maybe on earth. It's something close. I mean, you know soccer and different ones, but everybody fights. This is primal. It's not, you know. So, and you're not getting. Nobody sits there and goes like, "I was gonna go to med school, but I decided to become a UFC fighter." Like. You become a UFC fighter almost out of last resort. Everything else went bad, but you know what I'm good at: kicking someone's ass. So I'm going to do this, and I'm willing to do this. You know, I'm really good at mixed martial arts. I'm a really good wrestler. I can't do anything else. This is what I can do. And now you end up with the two baddest guys on the planet, and they're just absolutely. I mean, the, the the build up to the fight is so politically incorrect, so outrageous, so offensive, so vulgar at times, but. That's what the sport is. Like, it's cage fighting. You, you're a fan of cage fighting because you don't want to have all these rules where they're going to be like, you can't say this, you can't do that. Now, again, I'm not excusing it, and they, they, they should you know, suspend them. can't be jumping out of the octagon. You can't be jumping into the octagon. But I think UFC fans aren't going to be upset about this. Not many. Some of the real hardcore ones that truly love the sport, and there are many of those. It's like, ah, oh, that's kind of a black eye, but... You know, I mean, this is what it is. So I don't think the WWE analogy works. It's just, this is, this is the sport. It's, it's, it's total lunacy. The reason you tune in every month, you buy the pay-per-view, or you watch is because you never know what's going to happen. That's why I've always been a fan. You tune in, you put your $69 down, and you're going to get two and a half hours, and you're going to get some good fights. You're going to get some bad fights. You're going to get some comedy. You're going to get some outrageousness you're going to get something you never saw and at the end of the night here this is a great card there's a cherry on top there's a wild
1: brawl all right so i pay i'm watching it in my house when the brawl happens after the match the ufc takes their camera skyward they don't actually show us what's taking place in the ring and what's taking place courtside or uh, you know outside of the yeah. octagon fair or foul for i know the ufc's putting it on but to me, that was a sign they obviously did not anticipate this happening. It wasn't in any way staged. But it's I'm no sitting there staged. saying they 100% have to show me the replay. They 100% have to show me what's going on. Instead, we don't get any of that. Should the UFC be criticized for not showing people who paid $65 the full scope? Because that's what I when this was happening live and I tweeted it in real time, what I was thinking is this is a major news event now I wanna know what's happened after the match and instead they took this camera skyward and didn't show us those of us who were watching on pay per view.
5: Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um Yeah, I mean they should, but they're not, you know, this is it's like state run media, you're not getting yep. you know, they control everything. So there's there's fan videos, uh Court side, you're allowed to sh- – or uh, octagon side, you're allowed to video, but only after a fight, so the media was able to do that. But there's only some of us in there, and you get a bad angle. So you kind of got to rely on that. Yeah, they should. But, but what I would say is, I mean, I don't, I, anybody who still thinks this sport is at all and ever has been fake, it just isn't. I mean, I, I, that, that, that ship should have sailed 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, it's just not fake. I've sat next to that octagon so many times. I know these fighters. It's real. It's always been real. Like, to fake it, it wouldn't be any good. Like, I get people like the cartoon nature of WWE and stuff, but, like, this is so much better than WWE. All right. This is is the real deal. That's why you watch.
1: All right, so here's the challenge that I would say. I watched this fight. I don't find Khabib to be an entertaining fighter to watch, right? Like in the same way that back in the day, the Gracies choking somebody out and getting the the match uh, onto the ground is not a fight that I'm interested in watching very much. I also don't believe that Conor McGregor can beat Khabib, right? I just don't believe it. I will probably buy the second fight, but assuming they have a rematch of this fight. But I don't feel like it will end any differently than the first fight did. That, to me, is the biggest issue with Khabib versus McGregor. And moreover, the bigger issue that the UFC could have with Khabib going forward is just that his fights are not particularly exciting. You've been covering the UFC for a long time. Do you agree with that take? And would you agree in general that Khabib has to be a massive favorite against McGregor? I just don't see how McGregor wins a fight against him.
5: Yeah, he's almost a 2-1 to favorite before um, there was almost no. Uh, Khabib's only thing is the way he usually attacks. Takes a takedown. It's not. He kind of goes up high, and so maybe McGregor is going to able to catch him. But, but very few people who knew the sport thought McGregor could win this fight, which is really why it was impressive. McGregor was willing to take it. I never thought he'd fight Khabib. I thought he'd duck him. He doesn't. It's one of the best things about McGregor. But this is why the sport's real. Okay, you wouldn't you wouldn't take the boring fighter, but. Khabib is is a duller fighter, but that's the sport. So it's like, you know, hey, man, I want to watch a lot of dunks. Well, you're going to get Tim Duncan and San Antonio Spurs. Sorry. You know, they beat you. Um, That's how the sport works. George St. Pierre was a longtime champion, uh, welterweight champion for the UFC. Very similar style to Khabib. He would smother you, ground and pound wear you out, incredible wrestler. He became a massively popular fighter, um, even though his style was not just rock'em, sock'em. So, you know, I, I, Khabib is not going to be the, the, the box office star that Conor McGregor is or some of the other fighters. But what do you do? He's dominant. And so the storyline of watching these, this run of guys trying to take a shot at him Tony Ferguson or any of these other guys is going to be a big seller. And he does have a lot of fans, and he certainly has a lot of fans uh, in Europe and in Russia and Eastern Europe and stuff. And you got to remember, this is straight global. So they're getting their money wherever they can get their money. It doesn't necessarily have to be by the U.S. audience, although it's the biggest and obviously wealthiest audience. So it's different – is he going to be, you know, would the promotion love Conor McGregor to win every single time? Yeah, of course. But that's not really how it works out. If that's, you know, that's just not how it does. They would have loved John Jones to keep winning and not, you know, failing drug tests. But they brought in stringent dirt drug tests. So you got to go with it. This is how the guy fights. He's dominant. He's incredibly strong. He's incredibly powerful. He's incredibly disciplined. And uh, someone, someone will eventually beat him. But we've had this before with a great champion that's boring. Yeah, you know, uh it is what it is. But St. Pierre did become extremely popular, although many people would say, gosh, that fight, he just smothered him for five rounds. It wasn't very exciting.
2: Dan
1: Wetzel, thanks for waking up with us. Uh, congratulations on being there uh, courtside or ringside to see all of that, and uh, thanks for joining us.
5: Hey, anytime. Take care.
1: That's Dan Wetzel. Go follow him. Yahoo Sports breaking down everything that surrounded the Khabib-McGregor fight.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
1: Let's bring in Alex Marvez at Alex Marvez on Twitter. You can listen to him on SiriusXM. You can obviously listen to him on here as well. What jumped out at you the most from an entire day of NFL action, Alex?
0: Blake Bortles, ah, I thought he was good. Now I still think he's good, but uh, you know what? Just a terrible day. And and credit to the Chiefs defense. Blah blah blah. I know the Jags have issues on their offensive line. They were down to their third string left tackle. No Leonard Fournette. That's that's uh, you know all, all things that contribute to this. But when you're throwing four interceptions, losing a fumble the way that Blake Bortles did, no bueno he has never had more than three turnovers in a game before this time he goes also down five times being sacked and look i think now next week right new england kansas city already looking ahead to week six a little bit here but this will be probably you know we were thinking maybe this will be the true test of the chiefs no the patriots will be the true test of how good the kansas city chiefs are and who is the best team in the afc
1: Blake Bortles, the second interception I think he threw uh, was off of his own lineman's helmet. I mean, he <laughs> threw it into the helmet it ricocheted into the end zone was picked off by the Chiefs. The Chiefs' defense has been much maligned. They played oh, really ready. well. Uh, the Rams also got the win. There's only two teams which uh, which are undefeated. They're, every team has at least won a game now. When I look at it, how many teams do you actually believe in right now? Like, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Chiefs and the Rams are very good football teams. I'm not sure how many teams outside of those two I really strongly believe in as, hey, you know what? I think this team is going to be really good. Maybe you can say the Patriots, if you're saying that, you're saying it entirely based on their history before this season because they really, other than the win they put forth against the uh, against the the Dolphins, have not been that great. And so I, I'm curious with you, how many teams do you think are Really, really good. And before I ask you that, you got two five and O teams. Obviously, everybody knows at this point. I would think the Rams and the Chiefs. All right, the AFC East is a mess. Everybody is either three and two or two and three. The Bengals are four and one. I'm not sure that I buy into them at all. And in fact, Bengal fans, I bet, would say, you know what? This is exactly what we expected when they came out and they got down seventeen. Now, then they came back, into their credit, they won that game. But they are four and one. There aren't even very many. Four and one teams. In fact, they are the only other team with one loss. The Titans blew their chance to get to four and one by losing to the Bills. How many teams do you believe in?
0: I believe in the Rams because I think that they're good at at all three levels. And, and, you know, obviously the defense, though, has some work to do in that secondary. Seattle dropping bombs left and right. And I believe in New England, and, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I know that the Colts game wasn't their best performance, but you can just tell it's an improving team. And, my, my gosh, Julian Edelman, he comes back. All of a sudden, this offense opens up, and Josh Gordon makes one play. Everyone has deigned him the next Randy Moss. It was a nice play, don't get me wrong, but he should get better as the season goes on as long as he can keep his life together off the field. But I think the Patriots figured out some things on their defense as well, some ways to minimize some things. you got the McCourty brothers who are playing great football together, Devin and Jason, who have been really good in that secondary. So I'm bullish on the Patriots uh, You know, going into this game against Kansas City. Now, if the Chiefs win next week, yeah, I mean, you know what, then shame on me, right? But that's who I believe in. Kansas City's been 5-0 and before. Clay, we were here last year at the same time, and what ended up happening? You know they went down the drain. I mean they ended up going ten and six for the rest of the season. I mean a five and zero is something we've seen before in Kansas City, and yet it's, as a year goes on, they have fizzled. Now is this year going to be different? I don't know. I mean obviously the defense was encouraging yesterday, but not. I don't think they're world beaters by any means. And without Eric Berry and his heel issues, you know related to his Achilles tendon, who knows when he's coming back? They still they're down to their sixth safety. That That's going to come back and hurt this team, I think especially against a team that can pass the ball like New England. But how do you believe in the Bengals because of their history with the playoff games? I think if, if Washington wins tonight, you feel a little better, but that week two stinker against the Colts still remains. And the Saints, you know, my preseason pick for a Super Bowl team, they should be able to get the job done against Washington tonight, but do we really trust that defense? And I think... That's the to thing, too, Clay. It's a flawed league, and the NFL is loving this. We have a record now, five weeks in a row, we've had an overtime game to open the season. That's never happened before in league history. They love the fact that everything is so scrunched together because it keeps an entire league watching games because we figure, hey, we still got a shot. Even if we're 1-3, 1-4, we still may be there at the end.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and, and that is certainly something that, uh, that, that gets a lot of attention. All four rookie quarterbacks got a win yesterday. Uh, every single rookie quarterback, they got to win. What did you think of the rookie quarterback performances across the league? Uh, well, Baker, you know, I mean, listen to
0: to throw for 300 yards the way that he did against a Baltimore Ravens defense. That had been so stingy, and yeah, I know he didn't put a touchdown up on the board in the second half. That Ravens defense still hasn't given up one this season, but but I just I'm so impressed by the way that he has just handled things. He just looks like a veteran player, right? I mean, 25 of 43, 342 yards, one touchdown. You know, Buffalo they they sputtered around, but Tennessee is just not a. They, they, you know what the Titans are? I mean, look, kudos to them for winning games that they you know that they should have lost on paper, but they've been getting by by the hair of their chinny chin chin this entire season, and this was sort of one of those that I. Saw Coming, actually, you know, I actually have said that on Fox Sports Radio. So, you know, I mean, that one, it doesn't really shock me. Josh Rosen, look, he was competent, but it wasn't like the Arizona Cardinals are going. Anywhere fast? I mean, look, San Francisco had 92 plays yesterday. Clay, 92 plays it was the most in the NFL since November of 2013. But they only put up 18 points. Their defense allowed 220 yards, 10 first downs, and they still ended up losing. Hey, and Sam Darnold. You know, the thing is that Robbie Anderson—if this guy could just keep his life together off the field—he could become a really a, a consistently good difference-making type wide receiver. I mean, the guy, you know, he is a great target for Sam Darnold. I mean, the fact that, you know, he caught three passes for 123 yards. Think about this. The first 100-yard receiving game for a Jets player since December of 2015. Yeah, wow. Of course, if you rush for 323 yards, that helps, too, and that's exactly what the Jets did yesterday. They, there's some problems in Denver, and I'm not saying Vance Joseph's going to be the first head coach to get fired, but if he doesn't fix things up awfully quick, I think things are really trending in the wrong direction. Case Keenum doesn't look any good. I mean, really, that defense getting gashed the way that it does, this team doesn't win on the road. They lose badly on the road. I mean, it's amazing, too, Clay, how you know we get into teams, Denver starts off quick, the Dolphins start off quick, and how quickly things can just fall apart on teams, and it's happening really for both franchises
1: right now all right we're talking to alex marvez what did you think of last night's game between the texans and the uh and the cowboys i thought the decision not to go for it in overtime by jason garrett i think he was at his uh at the texans 41 ish if i'm not mistaken and they decide to punt and uh in overtime when you know you go down you get a field goal you feel like hey we're in a pretty good position here was that an inexcusable decision by jason garrett
0: Yes, it was Clay. Let me let me ask you. Let me ask just your guess here. Figure this out. So the fourth, the last twenty fourth and ones for the Dallas Cowboys. How many had they converted?
1: I you know what I looked this up this morning before the show started because I was curious on fourth and one in the NFL. I don't know the Cowboys in particular. But fourth and one is converted at a 69.8% rate for NFL teams, given the Cowboys and their strength in offensive line uh, (laughs) over the years and the fact that they have Ezekiel Elliott, of all people, to hand off to. Plus, they've got Dak Prescott, who's a mobile quarterback. So even if you decide to throw the ball, you roll him out, you have a double dynamic option there to run the ball or throw it. I would think it would be at least at the NFL average.
0: 19 of 20. 95 okay. Yeah, that's percent, even boy. more
1: inexcusable.
0: <laughs> I mean, really. And you think about it, your defense has been chasing Deshaun Watson around the field. They've, they've held up their end of the bargain. You've got to be able to get that. And in a league now where teams are taking more chances than ever before, I, I mean, for Jason Garrett to do what he did, I, I, it is inexcusable, to be quite honest with you. The whole thing comes down to this in a lot of ways. Think about Jerry Jones and who he has hired as head coaches during his ownership tenure, Right. Jimmy Johnson, he's known him since college. Barry Switzer, longtime friend, you know, the program, et cetera. He knew Barry Switzer. Chan Gailey, he brings him in, and he did have ties to the Dallas Cowboys at one point, but that was a disaster, right, going with someone that that he didn't know. Then Dave Campo, it was a disaster, but at least Jerry knew the guy. Then Bill Parcells comes in, right? And Bill, again, someone who, you know, unfamiliar ways for the Dallas Cowboys, and that just didn't go well with Jerry. So he moves on to Wade Phillips and then Jason Garrett. Where I'm going with this is this. Jerry Jones likes comfort. He likes having someone that he knows running this organization, running this team. It'll allow Jerry to be Jerry, and they have that split between the front office that does what they want and the coaching staff that does what they want. That's why I don't see Jason Garrett getting fired in mid-season, anything like that. But at some point, Jerry has to ask himself, am I willing to think outside the box here and go with another coach, get in some new ideas, get in somebody different that may have have a different way to approach this than what we keep doing now which is basically an up and down team inconsistent some really good star players and some areas that are just that you look at the coaching and you scratch your head and say what what's going on here so dallas going nowhere fast and by the way i think the indianapolis colts will rue that decision if they are ever in this afc south race for letting houston stay alive when they went for it on fourth down. If the Texans were 0-3-1 entering this game, maybe they're not nearly as motivated as they are at 1-3. and Now they're right back in the thick of it in a division that's looking
1: pretty darn weak at this point. No doubt indeed. Alex Marvez, thanks for getting up early with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks again, brother. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Oh, oh, oh,
2: O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.